Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. And now for something slightly different. I would like to introduce you to a new face or at least a new voice on the podcast. I am joined by my new co-host, Ross Ingalls. Ross, welcome to This Climate Business. Vincent, hello. How goes it? Uh, it is super here on a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous day in Auckland. And um, mm-hmm. what a treat to have uh, someone else join me to help carry the load, but also take us in new directions for uh, the show. So um, tell us a bit about yourself. Who is Ross Ingalls? Uh, well, um, yeah, who is Ross Ingalls? Vincent, um, I, I guess you could say I've just been on a personal journey towards uh, sustainability for, well, since forever. Um uh, I, <laughs> I sold. I it's sold a long my uh, only. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just about to say I, was, I, I sold my only car a couple of years ago as part of that journey, and um, I bore anybody who asks, and quite a lot of people who don't ask about it. Um, so, so it's become personal to me. But, but at the same time, you know, I've always been fascinated by um, this. This group of usually quite or quiet pioneers, I suppose you call them, are shifting New Zealand towards a prosperous future that doesn't involve cooking the planet. And, and they've all got these amazing stories. So I just figure <laughs> um, it, it's it's really wonderful to be able to share those stories a bit more widely. What's your background, Ross? What, what have you done professionally that would lead you to a position where uh, you're interested in this stuff? Well, actually, I don't think there's anything in my career that that would move anybody towards sustainability, but um, but my background's always been in in public relations and corporate communi- uh, corporate communications overseas, mostly in Asia. So um, I came back about uh, four years ago, and now I practice in my own capacity doing freelance technology communications. Um, and uh, I tell you what, that technology world is. Um, a bit of a leader in the sustainability space too. There's all sorts of interesting things cooking away that, um, uh, you know, any one of them have the potential to make a big difference. Mm. Mm. Does returning to New Zealand, did that give you a different perspective on the importance of sustainability and in particular climate action? Well, I, I lived in um, Hong Kong for, for most of the time. And uh, that's not a bad example of of how you can get it badly wrong in some ways. It's uh, uh, Hong Kong was and still is grossly polluted, and um, so so the difference uh, the difference is very obvious. Just because you, you could see it when you look out the window, mm. you, you could look across the harbour and and and, uh, and not see the other side. Um, you know, days when you couldn't see the sun because because there was just this mantle of grey mm. pollution everywhere. So, um, I mean, Hong Kong gets an awful lot of things right, including density and public transport. But um, coming back to New Zealand, yeah, it's um, it, it's it's a different proposition. The other thing that became that is very obvious from overseas is that that that, that New Zealand just isn't as green as we like to tell the world that we are. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Mm. What are you interested in in terms of kind of topic areas? Uh, because uh, we could divide and conquer, couldn't we? You could take some and I could take <laughs> some. Uh, we, you know, <laughs> what yeah. bits are you going to do, Ross? Do it all. Well, look, look, look I volunteer to do um, any of the bits that involve bicycles because cycling is my passion. And uh, it's a sport um, as well as, uh, as, as, well as a climate solution. So I mentioned I sold my own car a couple of years ago. So the way I get mm. around these days is a mix of public transport and and um, and 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 uh, cycling. So um, I, I, you know, there's some uh, there's some there's some amazing entrepreneurs out there, especially in the uh, e-bike space too. You know, for example, mm. I think that's really interesting. Um, anything um, anything urban? Anything um, anything in the transport and electricity sectors? Well, you know, I always find that that fascinating. Hmm. Great. Well, with your technology background and your telecommunications background, I'll, I'm going to give you that beat, and um, <laughs> that'll open up Thank possibilities you. for me to to double down on my passion, which is food, farming, agriculture. Mm. I am hugely engaged in that area professionally and uh, from an interest point of view. So uh, I think that might be. You know, we might have a bit of a town and country act going on, Ross. Maybe, maybe we'll have to spit the. Split the uh, podcast into two competing pod- podcasts and, and uh, <laughs> turn into a race. You, what, <laughs> you, you, you've got a, a great voice. That my wife, Sarah, listened to your uh, interview, which we're going to play next, and she said, can't you get uh, sort of a deeper, more mellifluous voice like that guy? So, uh, <laughs> so, so the race is on. Who, who can get a sort of a deeper, more? Um, there's one answer, uh, a one-word answer. It's whiskey. Ah, good. Okay. Well, geez, that opens up a whole new territories. All right. Now, um, enough of us burbling on. Um, thanks mm. for joining me on the show, Ross. And I, and we're, we're, it's going to be fun. Thanks uh, so much for helping out. Now, you've already got one in the bag. Who did you mm. interview this week? Ah, Ports of Auckland. Now, I'm lucky. Where I live, I over, over, overlook the... Um uh, Ferguson Container Terminal, and um, and the ports, uh, the ports are, are a neighbour for us. Um, now they've had loads of headlines in recent times, and most of them have not been particularly positive. Um, but at the same time, they've been quietly beavering away on their own um, very ambitious zero carbon strategy. And that that has quite a few components. It's got renewable diesel. Um, you've probably read about the imminent arrival of Sparky, the electric tug. Um, and what they've also got, intriguingly, is the very first, or one of the very first, hydrogen refueling stations in any port, anywhere, anywhere in the world. Is and that, that station... Uh, anywhere is, in yeah, the world. I mean, I knew it was right, new yeah, for yeah. New Zealand. But, it really, um, okay, well, it's new for New Zealand and, 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 and on the world stage. Um, huh. But what's interesting about it, Vincent, is um, that station, it's a, it's a first step in a long-term shift towards adopting green hydrogen to power the ports. And the architect of that plan was the port's general manif- manager for uh, sustainability, Rosie Mercer. So we asked her to take us inside Ports of Auckland's move to hydrogen. So, Rosie, welcome to this climate business. Thank you, Ross. It's great to be here. You have talked about the demonstration project, the demonstration gateway refueler at the ports of Auckland as being a small step in the right direction of a bigger plan. Can you tell us about that bigger plan? Sure. Well, ultimately, ports of Auckland uh, will be a zero emission port by 2040. 
Uh, so we have a huge number of um, vehicles, plant, um, vessels, uh, all that operate on diesel at the moment. And mm. our plan is to have all of them to be zero emissions by 2040. So when we were looking at the different um, types of zero emission technology that was that's available at the moment, um, we decided that we wanted to trial hydrogen and we we're really excited about the idea of being able to produce the hydrogen ourselves and having a little bit of uh, independence from uh, of otherwise very long supply chain. Uh, so our demonstration project uh, is to build a uh, hydrogen electrolyzer and refueling station so that we can start trialing uh, hydrogen vehicles. So gateway refueler is the first step for us to be able to refuel, but we can't actually produce the fuel on site yet. Uh, but we will be able to produce it um, when we build our, our next phase of the big project. Right. So this project was first discussed, I think, back in 2018. It's come online, I think, this year. Is, is, would it be fair to say it's had a difficult birth? <laughs> yeah, it would be fair to say that um, uh, that we underestimated um, how long uh, a project like this could take. Mm. Um, it, it's been done elsewhere in the world and we took a lot of advice from consultants at the time and, and thought that we would be able to do it in New Zealand. Um, uh, over a sort of a 12 to 24 month period. Um, but when we started getting into the project, one of the things that we decided to take a little bit longer on to make sure we got it right was the resource consent. And then while we were going through that, COVID happened. And of course, the, the sort of the priorities and the focus for, for the port um, shifted to making sure that we managed that the right way. So we were quite happy to sort of let let things slide a little bit to make sure that we're focusing on the right things. Um, but it's, you know, it's notable that most of the projects in New Zealand that thought that they would be on the ground by now also have taken a bit more time. And I think it's a, probably a good thing for the industry that we're all making sure that we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's and getting things, getting things the way they should be to deliver, you know, a, a technology that's new for New Zealand. Mm, uh, that's right. The right way. Well, that is the thing about it. Uh, uh, this is new ground, not only for the ports of Auckland, but for the hydrogen economy. This is the very first refueling station in the city, isn't? Is that the case? Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. There's um, there there's a similar um, there's a privately um, privately used um, system that's fairly similar. Um, but this facility, the one that we've built at the moment, um, is being used to refuel Auckland Transport's uh, first hydrogen fuel cell bus. So it's the first one to have um, sort of the ability to be able to refuel uh, third party vehicles. Mm. What, what, what are the timelines? Uh, what, what is the timeline that, uh, for this project? What happens next and, mm. and when? Yeah, so um, we... We um, announced a few months back um, that Obiashi Corporation is going to be our um, equity partner in the next phase of the project. So we're really excited about that. And so we're working closely with them on the procurement plan for the electrolyzer uh, and refueling facility that will be built as part of this next phase. So we're hoping to kick that off 
sometime in the next few months. Um, procurement for something like that, long lead times and with COVID, you, you know, you're still going to be looking out past the next 12 months before you'll see before you'll see the kit on the ground. That's just the reality of supply chains at the moment. Mm. What are the economics of a project like this? Like when you are up and running with making your own hydrogen, refueling ports, vehicles, buses, cars, uh, will it be cheaper than the fuel it's replacing? Um, Look, Ross, nothing about decarbonising our economy is cheap. I'll say that from the start. So (laughs) if we can get cost parity with with the current, then then that's great. But I mean, we're trying to shift, um, you know, an economy that relies so heavily on fossil fuels, you know, for our for the whole world to change and decarbonise. The thing that is stopping it at the moment really is money. You know, if it was cheaper, you know, it wouldn't have taken, you know, the last what couple of decades of people pushing for it for it to happen. So um, I don't think that there's any question about the fact that um, that decarbon- decarbonising a fleet like we've got is expensive. What what we found though is that when we initially started out on the project, we were going to do a, a, a very small scale uh, electrolyzer, one that would have had the capacity to produce maybe around about 100 kilograms per day. And that was really at the upper limit of the funding that we were prepared to put into a facility like that. When we were doing the planning and starting the procurement for that, the economies of scale of a larger system were really quite significant. They were significant enough to make it worth looking into. And what we realized with that next size up, so the size that we're building um, will be around about 450 kilograms per day. We realized that at that scale, we had the ability to target having the supply of the hydrogen on par with the cost of diesel. And so if we could achieve that, we felt that that would be a really big step in the right direction. Um, Keeping in mind that the cost of the vehicles, like to purchase hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, um, they're in the order of two to three times the cost of a conventional diesel equivalent. So the party that is going to own the vehicle still has to fork out that amount but if we can keep the opex on on a par with diesel then then that would be ideal right so is it a little bit like putting together a jigsaw puzzle and you can start with any piece it's just a case of choosing which piece you start with um certainly uh with our gateway facility uh that's exactly what we've done. We've chosen to just get the refueler up and running, and we're really lucky. We've um, we've got a supply of hydrogen, green hydrogen, from BOC. Uh, they have a um, have an electrolyzer out at uh, Glenbrook, and so we've been really fortunate to be able to do this in this staged manner by leveraging the fact that there's green. There was a small amount of green hydrogen available that we could bring to site. Uh, and then just establish the the refueler initially. And as of today, it's been used by an Auckland Transport bus and anything else? 
Um, there are some passenger cars that um, have used it over the last uh, six or seven months since we installed it, um, but not on a regular basis just as yet. Um, but there will be uh, there will be cars in the port fleet uh, within the next twelve months, and we will be trying to establish our first container handler trial sometime in this next 12 months as well. Mm. I suppose the question really is, why the ports of Auckland? There are many different organisations that could be trialling this technology and doing demonstration project like this. Why Why did the ports mm. choose to do it? Yeah, it's a really good question. When, when we first started looking at hydrogen, everything about it was, you know, bright shiny lights and it was all perfect and everything, <laughs> you know, there were no downsides. So, of course, the obvious question is, well, why is it not happening? You know, if everything about it makes sense, why has no one done it yet? And so getting a little bit um, deeper into that question, what became really obvious is that at the moment, the infrastructure development costs are still quite significant and a lack of users in the market makes it hard for an investor to say, Sure, I'll put in that, uh, put up that capital, because mm. there was. It's very hard to guarantee that demand. Where Ports of Auckland had uh, a unique opportunity is that we had decided to be zero emissions. We know that we will decarbonise our fleet, and so we have that demand as part of our own operations. And in addition to that. Uh, to operate a port, we we manage infrastructure. You know that's that's how we operate and, and run a port. So we're comfortable in that space. We have our own um, diesel refueling on site. Why not extend that and have our own hydrogen refueling on site? And as mm. I sort of alluded to earlier, that opportunity to create independence from the fuel supply chain. Mm. That's super exciting. Like you can imagine that um, that level of uh, resilience that you could build into your business over the next, you know, 10, 15 years, which was pretty exciting. So um, we just felt that we had this ability to sort of break that um, chicken and egg conundrum that mm. most other organisations found themselves in. So how do you personally reconcile this initiative and your... Um, zero emissions goal for 2040 with the fact that the ports of Auckland continues to host host um, grossly polluting um, commercial vessels uh, every day. Yeah, that's, um, that's another really great question, Ross. So, um, and it's not an easy one because New Zealand, you know, we are an island nation that relies heavily on shipping trade. You know, right. it, it, it enables us to have the lives we do. So to to put, um, to turn around and say, well, we shouldn't have ships coming to New Zealand is not, you know, that's, it's, it's not really in our framing at the moment. Yeah. Um, but what we are doing, uh, as a port, is we're certainly looking for opportunities to try to reduce the emissions for ships coming to our port. Um, it's very difficult for us to 
sort of have a, um, a stick approach to that. Um, so we've tried a couple of different things. And one of the things we've done recently is we've done a, um, a full review of all of the different shipping emission schemes that are available. So these shipping incentive schemes that um, operate all around the world, and we're looking for the one that's best suited for us, that um, that suits ports of Auckland, but mm. also looking to take that nationally and saying, well, what about this at a national scale? Like, how could we approach government and say to government, well, perhaps this is something that New Zealand Inc. should be adopting mm -hmm. rather than it just being ports of Auckland. In addition to that, we have done a number of feasibility studies for uh, for shore power to mm. enable ships to uh, plug in and connect to the grid so that they can use New Zealand's, you know, relatively clean, clean green electricity that we've got. And um, and we we would love to be able to put uh, some shore power in sometime in the next ten years. Uh, it's a huge capital investment for uh, little to no financial um, return. So it makes it a pretty challenging business case. Mm. Um, and the other challenge with shore power is that uh, not all uh, vessels actually have the capability to be able to receive the plugs and actually connect in. So there's a, limit, there's a few limitations with that. But what we are seeing is the IMO have, have set out a pathway um, for the next couple of decades. And we're starting to see some pretty significant changes in the shipping industry and some momentum heading towards decarbonising shipping. Mm -hmm. So decarbonising shipping will happen, um, but it's up to us to really push for the things that we can decarbonise uh, sooner, which is right. why we want to keep focusing on what we're doing. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the hydrogen economy nationwide. This is a contribution towards what is um, uh, at the very earliest stages. Um, where, where do you think the hydrogen economy stands at the moment and where do you expect it to go? Well, I see it in its infancy at the moment. Mm. Um, over the last three years, um, the momentum that it has gained um, has been most steep in this last six to 12 months. It's been really mm. interesting to see how all of a sudden it's really uh, in the headlines far more often. And I think the opportunities around TY down in the South Island um, really amplified that. And you can see the work that um, uh, Meridian and Contact are doing together down there, which is really sparking um, people's interest and intrigue about what hydrogen could be for New Zealand. Mm. Um, it's been really interesting. There was some work done by the Sustainable Business Council uh, during last year. We, we participated in it was a collaborative working group and it brought together a whole lot of, um, or nine companies from the freight and supply chain sector and looked at what could a low carbon uh, a freight, a low carbon pathway for freight look like, and used the experience uh, and plans of those nine businesses to sort of contribute towards well, what's happening, what are companies who are operating trucks and trains and ships, what are they likely to do, and even without me being the one who was promoting hydrogen. Uh, there was plenty of others in that group who were 
really keen to be getting on and trialing hydrogen. It was really interesting to see that there there was such real interest uh, yeah. for getting trucks on the road that can um, hydrogen fuel cell trucks on the road that can actually start doing some of those longer distances. I think there's a genuine interest from a number of businesses across New Zealand to decarbonise and to get on and start doing it now. And now that we've got uh, certainly a bit more momentum with the actual infrastructure getting on the ground, you know, I think that's really helping people to start to see, yes, this could actually happen. Because when we were in that period sort of through 2019 where the projects that we said were going to be built weren't built of course that made it a little bit difficult for some of those stakeholders to to stay uh, connected and perhaps might have started to feel like it wasn't going to happen so now that we've started to get things on the ground you know I think that's a it's a really important step for the industry to be able to start trialing vehicles so it's small steps uh, but it seems to be coming together. What do you expect might happen in, let's say, the next two years? I would say within the next two years, uh, we should start to see the actual electrolyzers and refueling stations uh, on the ground, and we'll get some trucks trucks trialing. I would ex- I would expect that that will that will happen in the, in the next two years. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to second guess what might happen with. Um, with TY, uh, I'll leave that yeah. for people much more important than me. Um, it, and it will be interesting to see what um, what the government's uh, emission reduction plan comes out with as well in terms of what sort of um, what sort of momentum that starts to push as well. Yeah. I, I don't I don't expect it to be um, to ramp up really quickly in the next two years because as I said, you know, the cost of the vehicles is still quite significant. So what mm-hmm. what I would expect you to see in these next few years will be companies trialing a few vehicles. I, I mean, I could be wrong. There'll be some that are ready to to get straight in. But, you know, certainly the approach that we're taking is that we want to start trialling as many different types of vehicles as we can mm. over these next two to five years, yeah. So in terms of that adoption curve, do you do you compare um, the hydrogen economy with other technologies, like, for example, the uptake of electric cars or anything else? Um, I certainly don't compare it. I see battery electric and fuel cell electric going hand in hand. They play... Um, they they play in different spaces and they suit different needs. And I'm a big supporter of having a sort of a, a mix of both. Um, I think that you, you build resilience through that diversity um, of energy sources as well anyway, so, or fuel types. So I think that's important. Um, you know, because we're also trialing renewable diesel as part of, as part of our um, decarbonisation as well. Yep. So... The thing that we've learnt, you know, when you start mapping out a science-based target is that the the real emission reductions that's needed right now is quite a significant reduction between now and sort of 2030, 2035 in that, in that time period. Mm-hmm. And it would be, it would be pretty challenging to try and achieve that solely with one, 
mm-hmm. one technology type. Right. Uh, I think that that diversity is really important. But for those vehicles that hydrogen is most su- suited to, those that are carrying large, heavy, heavy loads, heavy cargo loads, doing longer ranges, or need to be able to have fast refueling, you know, the likes of our um, automated straddles, for example, you, mm-hmm. you won't have drivers parking them for a rest break where you could otherwise, you know, let them mm. charge for 30 minutes every yep. every couple of hours. You're not going to have that. You want those machines to be running, you know, as close to 24-7 as possible. So having that fast refueling capability and a fuel source that's not um, competing with the cargo that it's trying to weigh, uh, carry is really important. So definitely horses for courses, but hydrogen has some massive advantages over battery electric for those applications. Is the Ports of Auckland an early adopter with this uh, trial technology? No, not globally we're not, not at all. Um, uh, Hydrogen refuelling has been going in other countries over in the States. California's... um, uh, got a number of refueling stations, uh, Germany, England. Uh, there's yeah, there's a number of places that already have um, have the facilities. We were quite uh, it was quite clear in our business case as we developed it that we wanted to be choosing things that were tried and tested in the market. When it comes to the actual vehicles, though, so the container handling equipment, uh, certainly um, we will be looking to um, get vehicles here, which, yeah, certainly that's that's new technology in the port environment. Right. And last question, Rosie. Um, if you knew at the beginning what you now know about hydrogen refueling, uh, would you have done anything differently? Um, I would have done my, my program would have been different and it would have <laughs> taken into account... Um, you know, we have we've had to spend uh, a lot of time working closely with um, different government departments on the regulatory regulatory approvals. Uh, you know, the legislation that's in place at the moment isn't set up for hydrogen uh, as a fuel for vehicles. Uh, it's used in industry, industrial applications all the time. So there's a whole lot of safety and handling. Uh, that's already set out, but for it to be used as a fuel source for vehicles um, is new. So we've had to spend uh, a lot of our time and effort sort of working with government on that. And so I would definitely have um, had a bit more insight into how that would would have played out. Uh, and again, you know, going back to the comment about the resource consent, you know, for us, when we started engaging with um, the um, the stakeholders that were um, that were involved in the resource consent, you know, we chose to just take our time and not put pressure on and try and help people learn and understand about the project rather than trying to push that through. So we were quite comfortable with the time it took to do that resource consent and felt that it was worth taking that time, um, but initially hadn't hadn't envisaged, you know, it sort of taking, you know, taking that pathway. Um, Mm. And, yeah. and in spite of all that, I imagine there's still a bit of a feel-good factor for you. We're not there yet, you know. <laughs> was, you know, decarbonising our port—that's our end game. Um, it feels like a great milestone to have the refueling in place, and we're 
super excited about working alongside Obayashi on this next phase because they bring some amazing skill and technical uh, expertise to the table, which is which is really cool for us, and that's really exciting. Um, so while we've hit you know one milestone, you know there's there's so many you know more exciting milestones ahead. So not resting on our laurels yet. <laughs> Understood. Rosie Mercer, thank you very much. Thank you, Ross. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer. That's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week. And no hurrah.